Thanks for tuning in to MANA, a short daily meditation to feed hungry souls with God's Word. These episodes were prepared by ordained ministers for a radio broadcast called Voice of the Church and are now republished by the Reformed Perspective Foundation, a Canadian charity that applies biblical truth to the issues of our time. Here's today's serving. Hello and welcome to Voice of the Church. I'm Pastor Ryan Swale. It's good to be with you again We've been looking at selections from the Song of Songs. I'm reading this book the way that the church has for much of its history as a a biblical theological depiction of the mutual love between the son of David and his bride. Uh, Written as a song to move our affections and make us feel Christ's love. As one writer said, to fix our eyes on Christ for long enough that we develop a stronger appetite for him. And perhaps no section of the book does more to fix our eyes on Christ than the one we're about to consider in chapter 5, which is also very honest about the fact that sometimes our appetite for him is lacking. Sometimes this heavenly bridegroom who is deigned to dwell with us is not desired by us. And that's what we see in this part of the song, that sometimes love grows cold. As the king comes knocking, and the bride does not desire him. Look with me at the bride's rejection of the king, and then her reflection on the king in Song of Songs 5. She says, I slept, but my heart was awake. A sound, my beloved knocking. Open to me, my sister, my love, my dove, my perfect one, for my head is wet with dew, my locks with the drops of the night. But I had put off my garment, how could I put it back on? I had bathed my feet, how could I soil them? My beloved put his hand to the latch, and my heart was thrilled. I arose to open to my beloved, and my hands dripped with myrrh. And my fingers with liquid myrrh on the handles of the bolt, I opened to my beloved, But he had turned and gone. My soul failed me when he spoke. I sought him, but found him not. I called, but he gave no answer. The watchmen found me. As they went about in the city, they beat me, bruised me, and took away my veil, those watchmen of the walls. I adjure you, O daughters of Jerusalem, if you find my love, tell him I'm sick with love. And they say, what is your beloved more than another beloved that you thus adjure us? And and she responds, my beloved is radiant and ruddy, distinguished among 10,000. His head is the finest gold. His locks are wavy, black as a raven. His eyes like doves beside streams of water bathed in milk, sitting beside a full pool. His cheeks like beds of spices, mounds of sweet smelling herbs. His lips are lilies dripping liquid myrrh. His arms, rods of gold set with beryl. His body is polished ivory. His legs are alabaster columns set on bases of gold. His appearance like Lebanon, choice as the cedars. His mouth is most sweet. It is altogether lovely. This is my beloved. This is my friend. It's a beautiful reflection on the king's beauty after her rejection of him. And so we'll consider both of those briefly. First, her rejection. She is in bed and hears him knocking. 
speaking those gentle words, open for me, my sister, my love, my dove, my perfect one. Um, each phrase exalting the bride as the object of his affection, whom he desires union with, and yet in a way that shows her honor. He's gentle. He doesn't force his way in and demand his rights, but he waits. And when she refuses, he leaves a token of blessing behind in verses 4 and 5, putting his hand by the latch of the door, leaving that liquid myrrh, something like a love note or, or flowers, gentle in every way. And yet in the face of his gentle overture, the bride is unreceptive. And says, I've already taken off my robe. How can I put it back on? I've already washed my feet. How can I get them dirty? And leaves him out in the dew of the night. There is a coldness and disinterest in her words. This same bride who said his love is better than wine and desired to be taken to his house of wine now says, I can't get my feet dirty and be just a little inconvenienced for you. The same bride had confessed in 2.16, My beloved is mine, and I am his, withholds her affection from him. And, and this is clearly the assessment of the text. She herself believes that she has, has been in the wrong based on the regret that she feels just after as she goes out to look for him and decides that her concerns were not worth refusing him. She pronounces herself in the wrong, having acted as if she belongs to herself only when, in fact, they belong to each other. This is a poetic description of the bride of Christ refusing communion with him because of the minor inconvenience it may cause. She's like the church in Laodicea in Revelation 3, where Christ stands at the door and knocks, desiring fellowship, but is left outside. She's supposed to hasten as a bride to meet him eagerly and gladly greet him as the hymn says, but in her sluggishness and desire for convenience, she rejects him. So he departs. She seeks him but cannot find him, calls but gets no answer. The language sounds like Hosea 5, where Israel, God's bride, goes out to seek him but does not find him, for he'd withdrawn himself. When God's people refuse him, it sometimes leads to his withdrawal. So we see in the exile, God's discipline. And I believe verse 4 supports that as her heart yearning for him, that, that phrase only appears in one other place in the context of God's heart yearning for his exiled people in Jeremiah 31. And so there is this separation between the bride and the king as a result of her rejection, which leads to what we find in verse 7. The watchman who went about the city struck me and wounded me and took away my veil. Watchmen in Ezekiel 3 refer to the prophets who keep watch over God's people and sometimes proclaim his judgment, which is what we see them doing here. They are executing God's discipline which serves its intended purpose in strengthening her resolve yet more in verse 8, charging the daughters of Zion to help her find her beloved. And so the daughters ask why, what's so special about him? Leading to her reflection on him, the rest of our passage, where she reflects on his excellencies in verse 10 through the first part of verse 16, and then reflects on his relation to her in verse 16b. 
She says he's radiant and ruddy, chief among ten thousand. His head like the finest gold, eyes like doves by rivers bathed in milk. His cheeks like beds of spices, mounds of scented herbs. His lips are lilies, dripping myrrh. His arms, rods of gold, set with beryl. His body, carved ivory, inlaid with sapphires. His legs, pillars of marble, set on gold. His countenance, like the cedars of Lebanon, and his mouth, most sweet. He is altogether lovely. If you're trying to picture him, you might be a bit puzzled, because she's not describing what he looks like, but is giving theologically informed imagery to describe what he means to her. He's ruddy, like David in First Samuel 16, who it says was ruddy with bright eyes and good looking. And God said of him, "Anoint him, for this is the one." Her description has royal connotations. As does the line about being chief among ten thousands. It reminds you of that song: Saul slayed his thousands, David his ten thousands. The description of his head of, of gold sounds like Daniel two, that statue signifying the kingdoms of the earth. The imagery is royal. The description of his body in verse fourteen is carved ivory inlaid with sapphires. Recalls Solomon's throne in First Kings ten or his palaces in Psalm forty five. And the mention of white, ruddy milk and sapphire all come together in Lamentations four to describe the princes or nobles of Zion. This imagery is symbolic and royal. There's promised land and, and garden imagery, rivers of water in verse twelve, washed with milk, spices, herbs, and lilies, beryl and sapphire, which appear in Eden, Ezekiel twenty-eight, and the New Jerusalem, Revelation twenty-one. This is highly symbolic imagery that sounds like the temple in First Kings seven, with with the capitals, pillars, and water tank shaped as a lily, like his lips in verse thirteen, from which myrrh drips. That's the the smell of of the holy oil in Exodus thirty. Pillars of marble, bases of gold, cedars of Lebanon, all associated with the temple. Pillars in First Kings seven, marble in First Chronicles twenty nine, cedars of Lebanon in First Kings five. The song's uh, idealized king is being described with royal Edenic temple-like language because he is the King of Kings, true temple and dwelling place of God, the Lord of the Garden, who walks with His people. This description goes far beyond Solomon to the one who is altogether lovely, whose words are sweet like honey. Psalm one nineteen. It is a description of the beloved of the church. Who, though altogether lovely and glorious, desires to be with his bride, in five verse two. In fact, so much that his white and sinless appearance will become red and ruddy by the blood of the cross. His eyes, like doves, will be covered as they strike him. the The hair on his cheeks will be ripped out. His hands of gold will be pierced. His body of ivory disfigured on the cross. As he bears the discipline of verse seven for sinners being stricken, wounded, and stripped, the wonder of verses ten to sixteen is that this king would condescend and go to the cross to reclaim his bride who rejects him in verse three. He will take off his robe. He will defile his feet so she can be restored and be called his lover and friend in verse sixteen. 
which reflects not only on his excellencies, but his relation to her. This is my lover and this is my friend. She rejoices not only in his excellencies, but his relation to her as lover and friend. And I wish we had more time to unfold this, but let me just leave you with this thought. The glorious king that is described in verses 10 to 16 of Song of Songs 5 desires to be your beloved and your friend. He is willing to take your shame in order to do so, and he knocks on the door this day desiring communion with you. Perhaps you've sinned against him and rejected him as the bride does in the first part of our passage. But the good news of the gospel is that this glorious king is also a friend of sinners who will receive you. I thank you for listening and may God bless you.